Senate passes COVID spending bill. $15 minimum wage does not make the cut. Congressional Budget Office comes out with debt numbers and a plan by big tech to spy on the American people on today's episode of The Federal's Files. questions if that's what I'm supposed to do, Nance, whatever you want me to do. Hello, folks. I greatly appreciate you for tuning in. As always, I have a pretty huge jam-packed show for you. That is to start off, Joe Biden had a very brief uh, video teleconference, I guess, with the media, or it was just a release to the media, and then he asked Okay, I think he was actually talking to Nancy Pelosi. He said, okay, Nance, I'm ready to uh, talk and take questions. And then the White House cuts the feed at the very end there because they don't want him taking any type of questions. Uh, now, this is something they're watching. There's other countries that are watching our, our president right now. And it is a pathetic display uh, as the representation of the United States. You can say what you want about Trump, but you cannot say that he was not robust. He was not uh, cogent in his speech. He was there. He was fully cognitively functional. Uh, we do not have that currently with a Joe Biden as the head or the, the president of the United States, which he's being watched by all the American people. So, to start off, I have a bunch of information today. I have the, I just got word that the uh, the spending bill was passed through the Senate. I have a little bit of information on some pork in the bill. I'm going to go forward next week or, or this coming week. I'll have more information on it because it kind of just released. So, the particulars and the complexities of the bill have yet to kind of uh, come to fruition in the media but I have that. I have some stuff on big tech at the very end of the show. Do not miss. I don't even care if you literally fast forward all the way till the very end of the show just to hear what I have to say about big tech. I have an article on that. Uh, just a lot of information today, so we'll get right to it. Now, when Jen Psaki is asked about the cutting off of the video, and then she's also additionally asked, you know, why why is it that uh, Biden has not yet addressed the nation uh, check out her response. Play three. So why the delay and when can we expect the president to hold a press conference? Well, first, as all of you know, the president takes questions several times a week. Uh, he took questions actually twice yesterday, uh, which is an opportunity for the people covering the White House to ask him about whatever news is happening on any given day. We look forward to holding a full press conference in the coming weeks before the end of the month. And we're working on setting a final date for that. And as soon as we do, we will let you all know. So I mentioned this last show, this is the very first time in a very long time the past two administrations have ha held full-fledged press conferences, but this administration, the president has yet to do so, probably for reasons of cognitive decline. They probably think that Joe Biden is unable to actually uh, robustly answer the questions, which isn't really surprising. But it is highly questionable. Another thing that we have going on is we still have a military occupation in our capital in the United States. We're not really sure why. 
apparently March 4th. There's all this QAnon nonsense going on. I don't even actually know what this... I don't even know if it's actually QAnon or if the media is just making it out to be QAnon, that there was going to be a attacking of the Capitol in the White House on March 4th. There was not, absolutely nothing. They had full-fledged armed military standing there ready to fight any type of insurrection. There was none. So now, from what I've read, and I'll get to this at the very end, there has been another request for more and more military time or more National Guard time, another 60 days, apparently, from the Capitol Police. So to start here, I have the Senate advances the $1.9 trillion spending bill. So to start off... At first, you know, today it just got passed through, like I said, but there is some information that I have about some of the garbage that's in this bill here. But to start, this was, I don't really exactly know right now the way that the legislative process has been going on because it seems like this bill's already been approved multiple times, but now they approved the spending for it, and then today they had to go into the particulars of the bill, and then apparently they also approved that by a 51 to 50. Each and every time it's been a 51 to 50. So it is a tie in the Senate, and then Vice President Kamala Harris breaks the tie with the vote, which is, you know, I, I think Ted Lieu, the big fool that he is, he keeps tweeting about every single time Kamala Harris votes, it's a win for the American people. There should never be something, we should not be passing or codifying law where only like half of... Half the half of the Senate agrees on it when it's very slim. That most likely means that it's not good law. When law good law is passed, it's usually a consensus basis. When the representatives of the people agree on it, because the people themselves on a consensus wide basis agree on it. So the Senate, though, it is in for a marathon of a session in effort to delay passage of the legislation. Senator Ron Johnson insisted that the 628-page bill be read in its entirety, a process that may take up to 10 hours. Then the Senate faces a process where members can offer amendments for a vote, a lengthy procedure known as a votorama. So I guess that's what they went through today. So that's what I'm saying is they've changed certain things in the bill. Uh, certain particulars of how big the payouts were going to be for how many kids are in the family and how many adults. So I know the number was 1400 but then I was kind of reading today that for every single child and adult in the home, it's going to be an additional 1400 So I don't really want to give you all the information now because I'm not 100% sure. It's not all not really set in stone yet. But more importantly, Bernie Sanders, they just had this vote the other day. Bernie Sanders, his amendment for $15 minimum wage falls in the Senate. It's a Fox business piece written by Marissa... Schultz. So Sanders faced bipartisan opposition with just 42 Democrats siding with him and 58 senators voting no as of the vote count by 1 p.m. That was yesterday. The official tally had not yet been announced, but it was clear Friday afternoon that Sanders' effort to boost wages fell short of the 60 votes needed to be included in President Biden's signature stimulus legislation to fight the pandemic and boost the economy. Eight Democrats joined with Republicans in blocking Sanders's effort, including Kristen Sinema of Arizona, John Tester of Montana, Joe Manchin, West Virginia, Gene Shaheen of New Hampshire, Maggie Hassan of New Hampshire, Chris Coons of Delaware, Tom Carper of Delaware, and Angus King of Maine. So the reason I think some of these Democrats voted 
against the $15 minimum wage strictly has to actually do with their constituency. I know Delaware has a lot of big business over there. They probably don't want to, they probably can't even afford to pay their people $15 an hour. Uh, I know Arizona is a pretty red state, so Kristen Cinema, it was not in her best interest to go forward with an approval. I know that for sure. Montana, same thing. Montana's a little bit red, so it's weird. New Hampshire's pretty blue, so that's that, that one's kind of surprising. Maybe there's something I don't know about them in terms of their business. And Maine, the Maine independent, that kind of makes sense because Maine, I think, has a lot of sea fishermen jobs. I think there's a lot of small business up in Maine, so that would make sense. So raising the minimum wage from seven twenty-five to fifteen dollars an hour by twenty twenty-five would cost the economy about one point four million jobs and would lift nine hundred thousand Americans out of poverty, according to recent analysis by the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office. And I've gone over these numbers before. Just figure I mention again. And and this is now what's very interesting is we have all of these people, and I think what what we're missing as a country is a common a common consensus agreement on what government is actually supposed to be involved in in our lives and what their real duty is. If you want to pass some sort of minimum wage bill, to begin with, it's you know it's counter to the vision and the framing of the Constitution. But if you want to pass it, there's nothing, there's no provision in the Constitution saying you can't. But if you want to do that. Why is it that we have to go to the federal government? Why is nothing now done through the local government like it was supposed to originally be done? Why is there no federalism in practice with local governance? If your specific state wants that, then you guys should vote it through your state legislature. Why is it that now we're doing these big states, these big blue states, now they're the ones to determine how the policy should be for the entire country? Why is it, if you as a big blue state in New York, you guys want a $15 minimum wage and just pass it through your state legislature? No one's stopping you from doing that. Do it. It's very simple. Why don't, why is it that this has to be passed through the federal government? I just, that's what I don't understand. If that's what you want for your specific location, you want to see people get laid off, you want to see property taxes rise, you want to see property rise, you want to see, you want to see the price of food go up as well, all the commodities, and then why don't you pass that legislation? And you know why they don't do it, folks? I'll tell you right now. They're not passing this legislation because this will make each individual state that passes it look terrible. We will have a marking on the board. We will have a recording of their failure. And then we will be able to take that data, that analysis, that those numbers, and we can compare them to the states that don't raise their minimum wage. And then we can determine who's doing the better job of governance. That's why they want to run the whole system from the top down. This has the same exact relation with the healthcare system. Why is it that your individual state can't just do Obamacare? Why, why, is it the, why does it have to be a federal mandate? Oh, because then it's easier to lull you into continuing down that road, increasing the rates even more, uh, increasing the involvement of government in your life, increasing the involvement of government in your healthcare system. That, that's the point of this entire thing. Because then you have you do not have a legitimate control group to look at and say, oh, so who did it better? There is no control group to look at when it's run federally because it applies to the entire country, whatever the mandate is. If it's Obamacare, if it's full government health care, 
in our country and it ends up being a terrible mess and a disaster, our country will further just go further and further and further into the free health care from the government, continue to subsidize it because them failing through the government only makes them look better because then they can say, oh, well, we're going to fix the problem. The more and more helpless you are as the people yourselves, you trust the government more and more to try to save you. And that's why they go through with federal mandates rather than individual states to show uh, because they don't want a representation of the control group of the freedom minded control group. Because look how it's look, look how it's playing out for them right now in Florida. You had New York shut everything down, did a terrible job. Same thing with California. California shut everything down. California's numbers are a little worse than Florida. Florida's numbers are better than California's numbers. But guess what? Florida doesn't have a deficit in their budget. They have a surplus. People didn't lose jobs in Florida en masse like they did in California. There was a lot less suffering for the people themselves. And less of them, on average, died. And there was less case rate as well. So you have 21 Republican governors of the state COVID-19 bill penalized. They're saying that it's it's going to penalize their individual states. And I'm going to explain why. Yahoo.com article here written by Joey Garrison. Washington, 21 Republican governors and one Democrat are taking aim at a key component of President Biden's COVID-19 relief bill, arguing that a proposed allocation of money punishes states that did not fully lock down businesses amid the pandemic. The governors, led by South Carolina's Henry McMaster, issued a statement over the weekend that criticized what they called a bias formula used to decide how much money is in direct aid each state receives. One Democrat Kansas governor, Laura Kelly, also uh, supported the statement because they're very red over there. Biden's bill, dubbed the American Rescue Plan, proposes $350 billion in direct aid to state and city governments to replenish tax revenue collections that declined during the pandemic. Most of the funding for each state would be based on its unemployment figures, not overall population. States where the most citizens were out of work last year would receive a greater share. So for, for carrying the Democrat Party's agenda and the water of the Democrat Party, you get rewarded and your state government gets all of its funds given back to them because they're going to base how much money they're going to give or allocate to individual state governments off of the unemployment figures. It has nothing to do with population at all. So you have, oh, you have a lot of people unemployed here, let's hand you money. You're going to pay for them to, to be unemployed. We're going to pay for them to throw it back into the economy and try to build it, build it up more. So for doing the wrong thing, for giving people less freedom, you are rewarded by the federal government. The federal government is rewarding in an incentive-based structure these state governors and state governments and local governments that took the freedoms and confiscated them from the people. They're being rewarded by our federal government. So 33 states would receive less money than if the formula were based on population. So you have 33 states that are going to get less money because of them doing it by the unemployment figures. According to an analysis from the Office of Rep. Jason Smith of Missouri, top Republican on the House Budget Committee, 23 of the states are led by Republican governors and 10 by Democratic governors. The five states that would see their funding decrease the most are Georgia, Florida, Virginia, South Carolina, and Alabama. According to the analysis, only Virginia is a Democrat state and has a Democratic governor. 
The five states that would get the biggest financial boost by using unemployment as a criteria are California, New York, New Jersey, Texas, and Nevada. Only Texas has a Republican governor. Texas Governor Greg Abbott is not among the 22 governors who signed on the statement. And to me, in my, in my eyes, I think Greg Abbott's a, I think he's a milquetoast Republican. Uh, that's just my personal view of him. So California, New York, New Jersey, you guys all did the worst job. You confiscated the most freedoms from the people. You are rewarded by the federal government. We will pay you out money because you did our dirty work. You carried the water for us. Next one I have, I have a statement from Senator, Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana with Lawrence Jones on Fox News. Play five. This bill's dreadful. The only way I know how to improve it is with a shredder. It's not even a coronavirus bill. Calling this a coronavirus bill is like calling um, Harvey Weinstein a feminist. It's chock full of spending porn, billions of dollars to states and local governments that have, have seen their revenues go up, billions of dollars to yeah. pension programs, billions of dollars to schools with no requirement that they open. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an orgy of pork. And, and using a so, so-called coronavirus yeah. bill as an excuse to, uh, to fund pork is like looting a bad after idea. a natural disaster. That's, a bad That's John Kennedy. He's one of my favorites. Uh, he's always, it seems like he writes down whatever he's going to say before he says it out there. He said, Harvey Weinstein, it's like calling Harvey Weinstein a feminist. And he said it's like looting the people after a natural disaster, which actually that's that's a perfect analysis and an, an analogy for it because that's that's what it is. This is gonna this bill is gonna cost thirteen thousand for every single taxpayer, and in return you're gonna get fourteen hundred dollars, and then money's getting thrown all over the place. And he's talking about pension plans, and and he's not wrong. I've actually heard I have a friend that works in the trucking industry or a family friend that works in the trucking industry, and he was telling me he's not he's one of the managers, not one of the drivers. The, he says, "Oh yeah, the drivers, their pension's going to be fully funded now." Meanwhile, these drivers, they're private industry workers, they're Teamster union guys, they're Teamsters guys. Which I understand. I don't I don't hate our truck drivers, but why is it that public money, our tax dollars, are going to private industry workers? When you when you sign up for that union, you know what you're getting yourself in. You know that the pension could be gone tomorrow because you don't know how the funds are managed. I know they're supposed to send you, you know, quarterly earnings statements. They're supposed to do certain specific things, but that's not really what happens. You have to rely, and this is where I get back to the economic freedom part segment of the show. You have to rely on yourself. You can't rely on the government. You can't rely on a corporation. You can't rely on people that say, oh, yeah, we we have your savings. We have your pension. It's just sitting in this slush fund, and we're going to give it out to you when you retire. You need to always set yourself up for success. You cannot rely on somebody else to give you money at the end of the day. And what I have here is... This is the some of the garbage that's in the bill. This is off Senator Toomey. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, as always, everything I'm referencing, it will be in the show notes. This is off Senator Toomey's uh, Twitter. On page 174, it states each urbanized area shall receive an apportionment of an amount that, when combined with amounts that were otherwise made available to such urbanized areas. 
such urbanized area for similar activities to prevent, prepare for, and respond to coronavirus is equal to 132% of the urbanized area's 2018 operating costs. So whatever the, the operating costs of, let's say it's a city because it's an urbanized area, let's say it's New York City. Whatever their operating costs were in 2018, we want to exceed that in funding 132% in this bill, which is outrageous. That's almost, that's like telling them to begin with, we're going to give you an extra 30% on top of what your usual operating income is, or your operating costs are. When I say income is in how much money they're taking in from the people and then use that money to operate. It's This is as if they're giving money out, they're handing money out as if no one was working at all in the in these past in this past year at all like they didn't collect any revenue at all they didn't collect any tax dollars so this, this is they're taking this money and now this money can be used really for anything and the reason is it's a payoff into pension funds it's a payoff into benefits for public employees another page i have here and i think this one is out of yes it's out of page 179 of the spending bill it states Allocation of the amounts made available in subparagraph A1, 175 million shall be provided to each recipient for all projects with existing full funding grant agreements that received an allocation only prior to the to fiscal year 2019, except that projects open for revenue service are not eligible to receive a grant under this subparagraph, and no project may be receive more than 40% of the amounts provided. Under this clause, the administrator of the Federal Transit Administration shall proportionally distribute funds in excess of such percent to recipients for which the percents of funds does not exceed 40%. Funds shall be provided proportionally based on the non-capital investment grant share of the amount allocated. So this money specifically is going to the public transit system. They're having 175 million uh, go to that specifically. We're just we're just wasting. We're just throwing money away. These are once again. This is just a pension payoff plan. This is to keep them running. I mean, how how many more public programs are we gonna have in our country? And that's what I wanted to get to is that the scope of government is something that we just do not. As a society, we don't agree on. The left thinks that the government is there to protect everybody, to and not not protect freedom, but protect, protect everybody, have social safety nets, hand them money, make everything okay when there's any type of contingency or there's any type of issue. They're supposed to be just handing money out to people. They want to make it an equitable society or a, a, a society where equity is equal. Everyone makes the exact same amount. Everybody has the same net worth. They want a government that is a communist takeover government, the left. That's that's all they want. I mean, it's straight up, that's what they want. They want these social safety nets, these setups, where if anything happens, you can sit on your caboose and just get paid off by the government. And the right, the way that the right looks at government is they don't they don't want the government in their lives, almost in every facet, other than protecting civil liberties, isn't uh, the first ten amendments or, or all the amendments of the Constitution, Bill of Rights, just follow the Constitution. Don't get out of your scope of what your job is specifically in the government, and that that disagreement I think is fun. It's so fundamental that we just cannot come back from it unless if one side budges or the other one budges.
the 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 left thinks that the government actually cares about them like they're not a number in a system and the right knows that the government doesn't care about them and they're just a number in their system and they don't rely on the government for anything but the left thinks that the government is the end-all be-all and will solve everybody's problems because they can just take money from the people at will and i'm going to get to why what the government's doing printing money taking money from people at will consistently pushing for more and more spending why this will not work out in the end for us the people it may work out for the government because it always works out for the government but for the people it's not going to work out next one i have quick cdc lets child migrants migrant shelters fill to 100 percent capacity despite covid concerns so before this, I also added a Bongino piece that the Biden administration was letting positive COVID illegal aliens into the country. And that was another thing. Governor Abbott from Texas was talking about this. He confronted Biden administration about this after they called him, they called him a Neanderthal. He said, you're going to call us a Neanderthal. You guys are letting illegal aliens right into our state specifically because we're a border state. And then you're going to turn around and insult us right after doing so. So it, show, it shows, yeah, you're a real president for the people, I guess. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control, is allowing shelters handling child migrants who cross the U.S.-Mexico border to expand to full capacity, abandoning a requirement that they stay near 50% to inhibit the spread of the coronavirus, Axios has learned. And there's an Axios piece written by Steph Kite. Why it matters. The fact that the country's premier health advisory agency is permitting a change in COVID-19 protocols indicates the scale of the immigration crisis. A draft memo obtained by Axios conceded that facilities should plan for and expect to have COVID-19 cases. In this memo, this is a government memo, folks. This is them telling, this is the government's the CDC saying we're going to have to go full capacity in these detainment centers. As Axios has reported, shelters have been getting an average of 321 children per day, up from 47 per day in the first week of January. So before they were getting 47 per day in the first week of January, now they're up 321 per day. So what is that? That's, a, that's, that's about a six-time increase. And they expect to need 20,000 beds to accommodate the anticipated record number, number of child migrants. At this time, the Customs and Border Protection does not have adequate space for physical distancing, quarantine of persons exposed to COVID-19, or isolation of ill or infected persons, the memo says. As of March 1st, 2021, four CBP sectors are over covid adjusted capacity so they're telling them right now we do not have the facilities we're gonna have illness that's going to spread like wildfire in these facilities because we do not we don't have the room and we're gonna have to jack them up 100 capacity so they're they're really running a crisis at the border right now a, a legitimate uh crisis now what i wanted to get to and this has to do with the job some of the job numbers i have very interesting because we have some conflicting we have some oh okay so we added some jobs to the economy but then there's also a congressional budget office report that came out saying well the deficit is just going to keep uh, piling on at this point so washington examiner piece written written by joseph lawler 
it starts off the economy added 379,000 jobs in February and unemployment ticked down to 6.2%. The Bureau of Labor Statistics reported Friday as the pandemic receded and commerce revived faster than projected. Forecasters had anticipated fewer than 200,000 new non-farm payroll jobs. Friday's report adds to the evidence that the economy is poised for strong bounce-back growth this year. Many households are flush with savings from successive rounds of federal relief and poised to begin spending as the vaccination campaign advances. The Congressional Budget Office expects the strongest growth in 17 years. So it looks good. Our economy, so so they're saying we're going to have some strong growth coming through this, these years. We're adding some we're adding some jobs, so it seems like okay. So the economy's strong. Our 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 ability to innovate, and our thinkers in our society, our business owners are really we're pushing this. We're doing pretty well. Still, employment remains far below its pre-pandemic levels, down 9.5 million altogether. Businesses that involve gathering groups such as restaurants, bars, and theaters face a especially rocky path to health. The recovery has begun, though. Employment in leisure and hospitality increased by 355,000 in February as restrictions eased in many places. Restaurants and bars were hammered in the winter by the combination of pandemic shutdowns and cold weather. Still, that increase is only about a tenth of the number of those jobs lost in the pandemic. So we're slowly making our way back from what it seems like. It doesn't. We have 9.5 million people that are still that are still unemployed that that were employed last year which is it's it's a staggering number it's not good obviously but it seems like we're slowly making our way back um if if we did a mass open up of the economy right now it would really spur everything including the stock market which over these last 2 weeks or last 3 weeks has taken a huge hit and um they have not been doing too well hopefully they'll bounce back as well because a lot of people a lot of these a lot of, that's why when people complain Oh well, who cares how how who cares how it goes over in the um, who cares how the stock market goes? Well, you know how many people have their pensions thrown in stock market accounts? How many people have their four hundred one k in weighted indexes of the S and P? So the CB the CBO the Congressional Budget Office expects federal debt to double over the next thirty years. This is a CNBC article, and I don't know if I got the uh, the author. Let me see if I can find it here. No, I remember there wasn't... Oh, it came from the AP, so it was an AP piece, and they don't have the article from the AP, so I'm just going to keep going then, I guess. So the estimates do not include President Joe Biden's proposed $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package, which would further add to the deficit in hopes of speeding faster growth and hiring. Excluding Biden's aid plan, the annual budget deficit would be equal to 10.3% of this year's gross domestic product. A measure of the total size of the U.S. economy, the annual deficit as a percentage of GDP would decline over the next decade and then rise in the following decades to reach 13.3% in 2051. So let me explain this to try to make it, try to put it into simpler layman's terms. When they talk about the GDP, they talk about if you were to liquidate every single company in the entire country, we would have we'd be worth this much. I think it's around thirty trillion right now, from what I understand. The deficit that we are running every single year or is worth ten percent 
of our gross domestic product. Whatever our gross domestic product is, it's 10%, which I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it's getting closer to 30 trillion, I want to say. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe it's closer to 20 trillion, whatever. So that that is predicted by the Congressional Budget Office to go down. So that's going to decline the amount that our deficit every single year in the budget. So so pretty much what that means is our economy is going to pick up steam and we're going to still spend the same as a federal government and hopefully that will lower the amount of deficit yearly that we have, but then it's going to go back up. We're going to have the deficit increase by 2051. I think this mostly has to do with uh, getting rid of oil in our economy and then pushing through with electrical. Because right now, electric, what people don't understand is electrical power is subsidized by the government. The government is subsidizing it by using oil money that they're heavily taxing to subsidize it. And they're using your money as well in your paycheck to subsidize electric. And it will crash. In the very beginning of all this, if the technology is not up to par, if the technology is not where we need it to be, this will crash the economy. That's just a prediction from me. All of that translates into the U.S. government carrying a higher debt load. The Congressional Budget Office said that publicly held debt would equal 102% of this year's GDP. It estimated that the accumulated debt would grow to 202% of GDP by 2051. Yeah, if we continue, if we continue at this rate, we're going to end up doubling the the debt. And I actually think this is me personally. I think this is an underestimation. This is you're giving us 30 years to double the debt. I think that we'll double the debt actually quicker than that, in my personal opinion. Also, if there's somehow a huge conservative movement where people actually care about the spending, and there's not this this populist this populist uh, revolution that's going on in the Republican Party where a lot of them don't really care about the spending much, we are going to, I think, that we'll outpace this very quickly. I think that these numbers, I think, are purely based on our economy doing so well that we're gonna have, to, we're gonna be able to mitigate the the deficit from our federal government spending because our federal government does such a terrible job with spending money, and they love lining their own pockets. Now it ends. <clears throat> Still, there was positive news because the the Congressional Budget Office foresees strong economic growth that will lead to higher payroll tax revenues. It estimates that Social Security will exhaust its combined trust funds in calendar year 2032, one year later than it forecasted in September. So, Social Security will run out of money. It will be essentially uh, bare by 2032 if you're planning on getting your Social Security. Just that's why I say you never don't rely on the government for anything. Always try to build up your own savings, build up your investments, diversify your portfolio to hedge yourself in case of some sort of an economic downturn. These numbers are staggering, folks. Uh, I think me personally, I think they're underestimated because I think our government's doing a terrible job. I think the government spending is outrageous and we need to put a cap on it. The left likes the government spending and they want more free things. They want more government spending. They think somehow this will work if we continue to spend ourselves into an abyss and continue to print money out. And this is the reason that people hedge against this with cryptocurrency. And this is also the reason that cryptocurrency has been demonized by the federal government. And I'll explain why specifically it has been. I have a German bank's, this is an article from the Wall Street Journal. I was watching a Dan Bongino I was watching a podcast, or I was listening to a podcast, Dan Bongino, and he sort of he he sourced this this article. The German banks currently are they're citing negative interest rates. 
they they they're telling people not to invest in their bank because their 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 rate of inflation is so exorbitant right now that they are losing money by keep the the german citizen is losing money by keeping their money in the bank there is negative interest rates on their money because of the rate of inflation is so high and what I have to try to, I've explained inflation rates myself, but to explain, I have a Dan Bongino clip, uh, play 10. Why do governments love negative inflation rates? Because folks, it's a form of closet taxation. How's that? If I put my money in a bank and I'm being charged, I'm losing money every day, keeping my money there. How is that a form of closet taxation? Well, when the government prints money it doesn't have to pay for things it can't afford, which we're doing now in the United States and around the world, it makes the money in circulation worth less. Well, what is it? If it makes money worth less, what else is worth less? Oh, government debt. That's right. So if money's worth less and I owe Joe a trillion dollars, right? I'm a government, the United States, and I owe, say, China, bondholders in China, a trillion dollars. That $1 trillion is worth less, too, if we print a bunch of money. Negative interest rates in conjunction with inflation and the hyperprinting of money makes money worth less, but it also makes your debt worth less, too. And if you're a government like the United States or Japan, who have spent so much money we can't possibly pay it back, what better way to not pay it back than to make the money you owe worth almost nothing? To attempt to put it in layman terms for you all, the government inflation, increasing the inflation rates is a form of closeted taxation that is really out of the people's control. Uh, especially when it comes to this, this whether the Fed wants to print more money or not. I don't know exactly how their protocol works, but when we approve them, when we approve of as the voters, as the citizenry, we approve of these spending bills, and increases inflation, which in essence actually helps the federal government pay off their debt while making us destitute. It will defund us. If you have an inflation rate that increases 1,000 times, or 1,000%, also known as 10 times, if you have an inflation rate, at that point, the $30 trillion that the government owes in deficit money and debt, the $30 trillion doesn't change. That number stays the same. The only thing that changes is the money, the money in your bank account is the same amount of money. Just as their $30 trillion in deficit money and debt money is the exact same. So if you have 10000 in your bank account, and their deficit money is $30 trillion in debt that they have. The money stays the same. The value of the money is what's different. Your money in your bank account is almost useless now. Whereas their money that they owe, it makes it much easier for them to pay because they're printing more and more money. They have essentially just closeted taxed you. you you have been just worked by the government without your approval they have taxed you made your money in your bank account almost useless as they have used your money from doing from printing more and more money making your money useless they have taken your money from you and now they're going to be able to pay their debt off and that's maybe that's the plan here i don't really know exactly what the plan is i think it's almost an unintended consequence from the government 
But as the government continues to print more and more money, they're going to owe, it's going to increase the inflation. It actually plays to their benefit more than it plays to the people's benefit because your bank account is going to be get, getting quickly defunded. So finally here, and, and this was the story that I was talking about earlier. And then after this, I actually almost forgot. I have some Rush Limbaugh stuff on how how things just have not changed in our politics in terms of the particulars when it comes to the semantics of going back and forth with the opposing party or the imposing view. I don't even want to really call it a party because Rush was a conservative, as as some of you viewers probably are as well, rather than a... You're a conservative much more before you're a Republican. But I'll get to that after this. Microsoft and friends want to destroy uh, online privacy. And this is a Breitbart piece. It's written by Alum Bakari. And this is a huge. This is, this is once again, I don't understand how some of these things are not making the news. This is a huge story. It starts off, according to, and this is a Microsoft press release. According to Microsoft's press release, it has partnered with several other organizations to form the Coalition of, for Content, Provenance, and Authenticity. Put simply, the purpose of this organization is to devise a system whereby all content on the internet can be traced back to its author. The press release states that it will develop these specifications for, and I quote, common asset types and formats, end quote, meaning videos, documents, audio, and images. Whether it's a meme, an audio remix, or a written article, the goal is to ensure that when content reaches the internet, it will come attached with a set of signals allowing its provenance, meaning authorship, to be detected. Consider the companies that have signed onto this initiative. Leading the pack is Microsoft, which operates Word, Paint, Notepad, Edge, and the Office Suite. If you create a doc or a GP, JPJ or JPEG, a Microsoft service is probably involved in some capacity. So, Microsoft is working in lockstep in concert with other big tech corporations, with other big tech corporations, to push a system that will always have a receipt on every single thing that you do in your personal life on your personal computer. There is there's zero privacy. You have no privacy at this point. We're starting to lose the individual self and the public self. And your private self in your home, and this is how you can tell the difference between a communist authoritarian regime and a free country and the unreasonable search and seizure done by these these companies now where before it was if you wanted privacy you go get a vpn if you wanted this if you wanted that now at this point they're going to attempt and in this piece it states they're going to attempt to start making software and hardware as well that will be able to track every single movement there will be a stamp on who is the ownership of this content so a vpn really cannot hide you still additionally but we now do not have a private and a public life. Now they are both intertwined, they're intermixed, which is something that goes on that's Chinese, that's Russian, that is, there is no privacy. There's cameras everywhere, you don't know who's watching you, who's listening. And it goes on and explains. Then there's Adobe. 
The company behind Photoshop, Illustrator, Acrobat, and Premiere Pro, as well as several other market-leading applications for publishing photos, videos, and documents. There's also TruePic, a company that has developed technology to track the provenance of photos from the very moment they are captured on a smartphone. Finally, there's, all, there's Intel. And this one's the important one, Intel, which dominates the market in laptop and desktop central processing units, also known as CPUs. The CPU is responsible for processing virtually all information on computers. Whether you're typing a sentence or taking a screenshot, it's the CPU that is processing that data. Accessing the CPU is ultimate form is the ultimate form of digital surveillance. Even if you're disconnected from the internet, the CPU still sees what your computer is doing. So, so you can, they are watching you at all times. Even if you're disconnected from the internet, because the CPU is recording everything that you're doing. This is the plan that we're going to get. The This is the disinformation plan that's coming from this system. So it goes on, the combination of these forces creates the potential to track and de-anonymize Information from the moment it is created on a computer. Signals could be attached to information to ensure it is censored and suppressed wherever it travels online. Even if someone else is sharing the information, it could be suppressed simply because of its point of origin. And of course, the signals could be used to identify the creators of dissident content. We're, we're, and this is all for speech suppression. This, this is all in the act of attempting to to drive the the political discourse uh, they will make certain sources unseeable to the, to the regular person you will be unable to access me as a podcaster my data my my information will all be inaccessible by this this standard they will attempt to this is their attempt their mastery attempt to deplatform me because they realize the VPN situation wouldn't work for them so from the ground up they're going to construct a system where your hardware chips and your cpu is all automatically shutting down your content as soon as you decide to put it out so you're on facebook you're putting out content and you're thinking everyone's seeing this when no one is seeing anything and then automatically just because of who you are it has nothing to even do with the content because of past content this is their this is their decision and their attempt to try to drive the way people think in order to their job now they think is to determine what people should see and what they should not see this is ultimate censorship and this is so important that you once again this will be in the show notes this is so important that you pass this along to friends you tell them about this and i'm going to cut this down into a short clip you show them the clip this is so this is so pivotal right now so it goes on according to microsoft the coalition was created for a single purpose this is where we get to it here to stop the spread of disinformation which in modern establishment journo speak means information that challenges establishment narratives disinformation based on how the word is used today might as well be called dissident information According to Microsoft's press release, the coalition has been established to address the prevalence of disinformation, and this is quoting directly from them, to address the prevalence of disinformation, misinformation, and online content fraud through developing technical standards for certifying the source and history or provenance of media content. 
Naturally, the mainstream media, which is most threatened by dissident information, is heavily involved. The precursor to this coalition was Project Origin, included the New York Times, the BBC, the CBC, and Radio Canada. So let me break this down for you. They're stating, obviously, oh, we want to address the disinformation. the Anything, they label these things, and it's, it's useful for them because we have a bunch of useful and willful idiots that are on the left that don't care about constitutional freedoms and the First Amendment and, fr and freedom in a general sense. They just don't care about it because they would rather... They don't even want to have to have the discourse with you online. They don't want to have... They don't. They have their own cognitive di dissonance. They do not want to have the discussion because they know they cannot support their their ideology. They cannot support their policies. They know that they're failures, and they they know that they are not comprised of freedom minded principles because they're not freedom minded people. They want to control all the aspects of your life, and they are authoritarian in nature. They think that you should bend the knee to their ideology. So their idea. Since we have a bunch of willful and useful idiots that are on the left, they continue to not care about any of this information. Uh, in terms of Pollard, multiple multiple conservatives being deplatformed to begin with. This is the the idea of misinformation, deeming things misinformation, disinformation is anything that you disagree with politically. The left, if they disagree with something politically, instead of have the discussion, if you haven't noticed on television. Uh, I've been really watching Rush Limbaugh. I've been watching other uh, political arguments and debates. Milton Friedman, as well as Thomas Sowell, famous economists. I've been I've been watching a lot of videos of them recently, especially Rush as well. And years ago, there used to actually be a political discourse. There used to be discussions. There used to be debates. Uh, this does not happen anymore. This is now been i guess demonized this is it's not consistent because people just want to turn to their channel and they want instant gratification they want to hear what they believe and they don't want to actually even think about the other side and think about creating a counter argument or they just want to listen to their narrative and that's why when you find people online if you're conservative and you know this from experience when you go to debate them online they really do not have any answers for you all of their their arguments are full of fallacies Mostly emotional fallacies that have nothing to do with reason, constitutionality, or freedom, or founding principles. So what they do is they will label things as disinformation. And, and that's, that's automatically how they win the argument. Oh, well, uh, the fact checkers said that you were wrong, so that's it. That's the way that everything's seen. And then when the fact checkers suppress that suppresses your content automatically by them putting a disclaimer on your content. Because it doesn't, it doesn't comport with their narrative because it's so important that... That their narrative is the only narrative out there. And to begin with, so Project Origin was the beginning of this coalition. And then I guess they liquidated or whatever. But they were comprised of the New York Times, the BBC, the CBC, and Radio Canada, all left-wing sources. And this was Project Origin's mission statement. And this is their mission, mission statement straight from Project Origin. It declares... And I quote, misinformation is a growing threat of the integrity of the information ecosystem having a pro provable source of origin for media. And knowing that it has not been tampered with en route will help to maintain confidence in news from trusted providers. The goal has been stated up front. The establishment media wants to trace the origin of all digital content so that trusted providers can be distinguished from non-trusted providers. Meaning... The authoritative sources can be trusted from the non-authoritative sources. And that was, that's the point of this entire statement. And it's, 
It's absolutely reprehensible. It's unbelievable that we're, we are now getting into this time where this is somehow acceptable from... And the only people that can really speak for us conservatives, we can speak out as much as we want, but if the left actually stood up for us, which they, which I don't, I'm not imagining them doing so. If they stood up for us, this would be this would be ended pretty quickly. And I think that this is not going to work for the Democrat Party. I think this will boil over. They continue this behavior. It's not going to work out for them. The more and more you try to suppress a free country, there will eventually be an explosion period or a period of boiling over. To get to my Rush Limbaugh segment, because this, this concludes the show, I'll go through Rush Limbaugh a little bit. And then I have, or you know what I'll do first? <clears throat> I'm going to go through these quick headlines. Israel ready to battle Iran. This is American military news. Uh, this is just, I'm reading into it, it seems like Iran's getting more, they're kind of starting to lick their chops a little bit. And America is talking Iran nuclear deals, and Israel is, is stating themselves we're ready to fight Iran, if, especially if America gets into an Irani, Iranian nuclear deal because then that will be uh, fatal to our country under armor forces white employees to attend critical race theory brainwashing pretty self-explanatory there this is going on it's not pervasive in our society the the uh, critical race theory garbage and forcing white people to apologize for nothing for something that they they did not do something that they are not guilty of YouTube suspends the RSBN, which is the right side, I think it's called like the right side network, because they were broadcasting Trump's CPAC speech, censors Trump's speech. It was a post-millennial piece. Just more censorship from the left. So, to get to this now, first off, I want to show you how Rush Limbaugh handled the left, and things have not really changed much. Uh, this is in 1992. I'm going to show you three different clips. This one here, this first one, it will start off with straight up just emotional appeal. Uh, play five. Phil, this man's a very, very destructive person. I haven't seen any sense of compassion, of, of love for fellow man, and trying to make this world a better place. I mean, I don't send that. I see that. You're criticizing, attacking, uh, destroying. I mean... Uh, I've destroyed nothing. I've attacked nothing. As far as compassion... I think it is compassionate to try to teach people to take care of themselves rather than depend on government. I think it's compassionate to try to save babies in the womb. I don't know what basis you use to say that I, I am attempting to take life. Over here, Rush. Yeah. Are you in favor of mandatory sterilization of welfare recipients? No. Uh-huh. This goes back to my argument, I've stated this a couple of times, that the the left just thinks that the right doesn't, the right thinks deeply on these issues and the left doesn't. They just automatically go for an emotional appeal on subjects. It's automatically, this guy doesn't care about this because he disagrees with me on policy. And that's just not the case. Now Rush will go on to explain why, but the most important part is this is exactly what the left does this was 1992 folks this was 30 years ago they have been doing these are the same methods they've been using the same exact 
lecturing debate. It's not even really debating. It's debasing the, the same debasing methods that they've used for 30 years. They condemn you by calling you a name and explaining how bad of a person you are without a chance of you to get out the reason that you hold that position. And now you'll get to why Rush holds the position of the uh, homeless advocacy how he thinks they're a bunch of frauds, as he says. Uh, play 10. You appear to be making fun of the homeless. No, no, no. Uh, I think the homeless advocacy is a bunch of frauds. And uh, the homeless update is designed to illustrate that. Uh-huh. Phil, not make fun of, here's the story. In California, the homeless, in a lot of places, use shopping carts from grocery stores as their homes. And the grocery store owner said, no, that's our property, we'd like it back. And they asked the cops to go round them up every year, and they do. And the homeless advocates say that's no compassion, right. and that's heartless, right. but it's their property. And so Project Dignity in, in, in California has sprung into action to take care of this terrible injustice. And what they're doing is you donate to them, and they'll go out and buy a shopping cart for a homeless person right. and give it to him. Now, Phil, wait, wait, let's talk about compassion. Let's I'm talk not... about compassion. You're homeless, and I'm another human being, and I say, here, pal, I love you. Here's your home. Here's a shopping cart. What kind of dignity is that? That's no dignity whatsoever. No. Now, there's another thing. Wait just a second. Wait, wait. One yeah. moment. One moment. One moment. Because Project Dignity is doing something new. Project Dignity now has a video called Dumpster Dining. It teaches, it teaches homeless people how to scrounge dumpsters for nutritious food. Mm -hmm. The homeless advocates, there are 600,000 homeless, not 3 million, never have been 3 million, never will be 3 million. It was a lie from the beginning. And the idea that there are fewer than thought angers the homeless advocates when it ought to please them. Uh -huh. and, and most of those, whatever the number may be, I have the sense you feel these are people who really could get a job. No, I think, that, I think maybe 20% of them are. I think the rest of them are mentally incapacitated or uh, the victims of substance abuse. Uh, and you know what I noticed? I forgot to mention in the last one. Do you notice where the woman asked him if he was for the sterilization of welfare recipients because there's been consistent smears of this guy. At this point, Rush was probably on the radio for maybe four or five years, and they have been they were smearing him. And this is why he resonated with Trump so well, is because they did the same thing to Donald Trump. But more importantly, you have Donahue, he was the, who was the host, automatically claiming that Rush has some sort of ill intent where they already have an opinion of Rush before he even has the conversation with them. They have an opinion of what his opinion is and why it's so bad and why he's such a, hate, a hateful human being. And his and what he's noticed, and all he's done is he's, he points out the inconsistencies of these these anointed individuals. It is also known in the book of Thomas Sowell, the vision of the anointed. It is the ideology that these people that have such good intentions automatically know better than everybody else and their good intentions when they put them and implement them into policy they actually fail almost all of the time because you realize that government uh, advocacy anything that comes to big groups usually involves group think and infallibility because of because of that group think so rush says you know, these 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 advocacy groups for the homeless they're giving them carts, they're, they're giving them methods to search through garbage pails, garbage cans. If you really want to help help these these people, wouldn't it be better to teach the, teach the man how to fish rather than throw him a fish every once in a while? 
essentially that is the the argument that he's that he's alluding to and he is actually right about the homeless rate the homeless rate is nowhere near three uh i think he said something like three million he said it'll never be at three million he's right if you look up the number of homeless in this country it's not it's still not three million but these groups try to make it like uh, the homeless like at that time that the homeless problem was much worse than it is and then at the very end where Donahue says, oh, well, you get, you know, I imagine you just think those people are smart and competent enough to get jobs. And he goes, no, I think most of them, they're down on their luck. Uh, they have mental health disorders or they're people that had a bad, something bad happened to them. They got addicted or dependent on drugs, simply. But it's the automatic, it's the assumption that the conservative is a terrible, awful, mean person. And that's what the left thinks of you. And this was 30 years ago they thought this of Rush Limbaugh. They treated him the exact same way. They condemned him fully. Uh, but at this time, at least he can go out there and he can converse and, and try to change minds and opinions. And that's where the left realizes, this is where they realize, oh, we went wrong. We tried to smear this guy. We tried to scorn him, condemn him. We tried to pretty much lie about about what his intentions are and, the thing, and take things that he said out of context purposefully, might I add. We tried to do all of this and it's still... People could not resist him, resist his ability to make an argument. People eventually started listening and realizing that we were lying to them the entire time. So now with their answer and, and their remedy for the problem now is that you can't speak at all. You can be smeared, you get deplatformed, so you have no chance to defend yourself. You are automatically declared guilty before seeing a trial. There is no presumption of innocence for you now. That That is their new method of operation. That is how they have infiltrated and they have beaten this system. And the very last one, and this is this really does bring it full circle to what is currently going on today. You have a caller that calls in and says, calls, you know, calls Russia name and then gives a an ultimatum for the people also on the uh, in the crowd on what we should do with Rush Limbaugh. Play nine. Are you there, caller? Hi. Hi. What do you think? Well, this is America, and everyone is allowed an opinion, but I am tired of the networks that chase after the almighty dollar by using fringe weirdos to shock and manipulate. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, you... She starts out by saying, this is, the, this is America, freedom of speech, she wants me off the air, she wants your help, you applaud it, you call me a fascist. That's and right, so let's call, write madam, letters. Madam, examine yourself, you should be embarrassed with this. I'm a harmless little fuzzball. Nobody makes you listen to me. You're not harmless because you're a manipulator, you're devious, and you're evil, and you don't help the world. Are you sure you're not flattering the man? <laughs> There you have it, folks. That is the modern leftist ideology that is currently going on now. And it was it was being called for 30 years ago. So nothing has changed. The left has stayed the same throughout time. It has been the same product. Uh, I remember listening to Rush a couple of months ago and he was, he was saying this. He says when people come to him and they say, oh, I never thought the left was capable of doing this or doing that. And Rush said, "I've been telling you guys this for the last thirty years, and I didn't, you know, I've I've I haven't been alone, I haven't been alive thirty years, myself. But 
I didn't really believe it. And then when I go back and I watch some of these clips, I do. This is what the left has been calling for for years. It just was not fully implemented. And now it is is in full force. Uh, they are attempting to confiscate the rights of, of, the, of one class of people in this country. And it's the right. And the call for, you are a fascist. And I think you have your freedom of speech. You're a fascist, but I think we should all get together and we should silence this person. We should send, at that time it was probably, we should maybe, maybe there even wasn't even emails. We should all write in to these news organizations saying not to put him on the air. Because they're afraid of ideas. These, these folks are afraid of ideas and they do not want to debate any, any substantive topics because they know they do not have a legitimate argument because they've not actually looked into their own beliefs. There, there's been no circumspection or, or criticism from them, and the left only continues to perpetuate uh, these same things. These people have been indoctrinated into this culture. So I greatly appreciate you all for tuning in. Please like, share, subscribe, let people know about the podcast, pass it around, drop the mic, let people know, uh, especially the very end of this podcast. I think it is it's pivotal, it is critical that you show people the very end of this podcast, the Rush Limbaugh, as well as the Alum Bakari, Microsoft attempting to spy on the American people. So I will see you all on Monday. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you and have a good weekend.